0: We be, uh, began last week a, a series as we've uh, kind of marching through Lent as it relates to fasting and our hunger and desire to, to know God more. In, in April, one of the things that we want to do each, each quarter here at, at Harvest this year is to have a different prayer uh, focus, to have a different emphasis each quarter as we open up opportunities for people to submit their prayer requests and for us to pray over them together as a pastoral staff as well as at our prayer meetings. To give you all the opportunity to, to pray in, in different ways and to engage in uh, intercession for others and praying for the nations and, and things like that and one of the things that we're going to do in in April a couple times is uh, is to uh, pray uh, in w- with fasting fasting prayer and so part of what we're doing here is just laying that groundwork and it ties in uh, with this season of the Christian calendar that we're going through in in Lent. And so I I know, uh, like we mentioned last week, a lot of y'all are fasting from certain things. And um, so I wanted to put down the, the framework last week that the essence of fasting is to say, God, this is how much I want you. As I give up food, for example, this is a physical exclamation point to this statement that I'm making spiritually, this is how much I want you. And as we give up whatever else we give up, our video games, or as we give up our... Uh, sinful habits, or as we give up uh, these things that have a grip over our lives, we're saying, God, this is how much I desire you. I think a lot of times when it comes to fasting, I know uh, it can be a difficult thing. It it is a difficult thing. Uh, One of the things that I've come to realize is is really popular these days is kind of shifting gears a little bit to illustrate a point. There are these websites, these, uh, I don't know what you call them, but things like uh, Groupon. Is anyone familiar with Groupon? or livingsocial.com, things like that. It's basically within each uh, geographic location in the States, there are different uh, businesses, companies, organizations that say, if you buy a bunch of these things, if a group buys these things, we'll give it this product to you at a great price. So you can get like a $150 massage for just $35. And every day in your email, you'll get one. Groupon.com, it's really cool. Uh, You want to get a $75 manicure, you can get it for $20. You want to get your car washed? $150 $150 worth of car washes for just $18. You can get this great deal to play uh, four rounds of golf for just $20 and all kinds of things like that. It comes to your mailbox, your email box, and, and you can decide if you want it or not. And you can delete it, and it's usually good for like a day or two days or things like that. And I think the, the reason why these things are so popular is because you look at the price that you're paying and you look at the product that you get, the benefits of what you're paying for, and you realize, wow, you're not focused on that price. You're focused on the benefits of it. And you're like, that is a great deal. I will gladly pay that price in order to have this product. When it comes to spirituality, however, I think a lot of times we focus a whole lot more on the cost than we do on the benefit that is derived from that price that we pay. What I hope to do today is to show that when we fast, whatever it is that we fast, whether it's a day, whether it's a meal, whether it's a product, whether it's a a, a vice, even if it's a virtue in our lives, when we fast that for the sake of Christ, I want to show that the, the, it's a tiny price to pay compared to what we receive from God as a result. So again, we're going through this time, and I, I want to really lay a theology of fasting so that when we have each year these times of fasting and prayer for missions or these times of fasting for Holy Week or fasting for the New Year, that we really understand what it is that we're doing. And today, I think as you get this, As you get this, I think your life will be forever changed. I really do believe this. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 13, this is a a pivotal point in the life of the church here. Uh, This is God's word. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. What in the world are we doing reading this snippet out of history? And how are we going to talk about the benefits of fasting here? Here's, here's how. Let me set the the stage here. Luke is writing the book of Acts as a sequel to the gospel of Luke. And as he's writing, he's telling about all the things that happened after what we just saying happened. Jesus Christ has risen. Before he he ascended in heaven, he said to his disciples, he promised them that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you'll you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Okay, you remember this? And then Jesus ascended into heaven. So here, as we pick up, the Holy Spirit has descended upon the people of God. The, the, this Jesus movement by the power of the gospel has is, is been growing and is multiplying, and it, it's, like gotten, uh, it's getting bigger and bigger. Miracles are being performed as the gospel is preached. It's testifying to the reality of what all, all that the disciples and the apostles are preaching. And this kingdom of God is going and is growing. At a certain point in time, there were people who wanted to quell this uprising, this quote-unquote uprising, so they began to persecute Christians. You remember, the first martyr was uh, Stephen. Stephen. He was stoned. They took him, and, and they threw him into a pit, and they started throwing rocks at him until he could no longer move. And it says when he died, heaven opened, and it says his face shone like an angel. And there is this, such a, a sense of holy, godly peace over him as Jesus stood to welcome him into heaven. That was Stephen. And and from there, this immense persecution began to to squeeze on the Christians and they burst out of Jerusalem. Just like Jesus said. First in Jerusalem, then in all Judea and Samaria. So they're going, Judea, Samaria, they're going, and the movement is picking up steam. And they get to this critical point in Acts chapter 13 where they've been persecuted heavily. They've gone out, and and the gospel has moved from Jerusalem as far north as as, uh, Antioch, 300 miles north. Because this is as far as it's gotten. It hasn't yet moved beyond the uh, eastern seacoast of the of the great sea, but here they are, 300 uh, miles north in in this uh, town called Antioch, and this is where uh, the church was uh, was uh, a church was established, and it was the first place in all of history that people looked at these followers of Jesus Christ, and they say they look just like Jesus, they look like little Christ's, and so they began to call them Christians first at Antioch. And so here we are in in Acts chapter 13. G. Campbell Morgan says this is the watershed moment in all of church history. And most commentators will say that this is the hinge of the church and the movement of the gospel here. This huge point where the church is thinking, what are we going to do at this point? In Acts chapter 13, we see three things. And the first thing that we see is when they had fasted, they received guidance from the Holy Spirit. When they were fasting... They received guidance from the Holy Spirit. This is huge because all of us at one point or another are needing guidance and direction. You look in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Then in verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed, Luke, as he writes this, uh, as he writes this uh, history, he wants to make it crystal clear to everyone reading that everything that happens here is a result of their fasting and praying. Because he brackets what happens by the fact that they were worshiping and fasting, they were fasting and praying. And the first thing is they receive guidance from the Holy Spirit. They're in this this critical movement where from, from, uh, from this point on, the gospel would be completely set free and unleashed to go to the ends of the earth. But they're in this moment, this urgent point in time where they're seeking God's direction, seeking God's guidance. God, what are, you gonna, where, what are we supposed to do as a church? What are we supposed to do as a people of God? And in that moment, this urgency was demonstrated by their fasting. You know, we don't know what to do, where to go, but lead us. And this is how much we want your leading. Now that we will fast So that we could do what you want us to do. I I know a lot of us are in this place. Should I stay in this job or not? What should I I declare as my major? What should I study? Should I relocate to another place? Should I take this offer that is given to me? Should I date this guy who's uh, been, been, been calling me up? What should I do? Is now the right time to get married or, sh- or should I wait? And we've often got these questions. Oftentimes we've got these questions. We don't know what to do and we're seeking the most well-informed answers. And we're, we're going to, to talk to people. And we're going to seek other people's advice. We're reading all of these different books and, and laying all of our, our, our uh, arguments out. But at a certain point, uh, we get stuck and we feel like, I don't know what to do now. I don't know where to go. I don't know what the right thing to do is. You ever feel like that? I know you do because this past couple weeks I've had um, countless uh, conversations with people. Can you can you pray for me? What what should I do? What should I do with my career? Should I what should I do with my job? What should I do with this offer? Should I go to this place or not? Should I approach this person and ask them to be my significant other or not? What should I do in this situation? I. I I hope we understand that this is not just something out of a a point in history, but this is something that is highly personal and practical. If it's not to you right now, it will be at a certain point in time. And what do I do in this situation? Because it's not just about making the most well-informed decision. Don't we want to do what God wants us to do as followers of Christ? I think that's our desire. And sometimes that can make things even more confusing because it was just up to us It will be like, yeah, this guy likes me. I'm going to go out with him. But we want to follow Christ, don't we? And the way that the disciples, uh, the the way that the early church members demonstrated this was by saying, God, this is how much I want to follow you. I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But here, this is how much we want to see you. And while they were fasting, the Spirit of God led them and gave them insight. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And starting in verse 4, they go on their way led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there comes places and points in our lives where the decision is so important that we really need to fast and think and pray about this. It's not just about are the ducks lining up, but God, what do you want me to do? Because a lot of times, what we want to do and what seems right to a man—Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And we really need to seek the leading of God. I, I when I was graduating from seminary, there's a church that I've been talking to up north for about three years. And everything to me seemed that this would be the most amazing position. And they had a, a position. They had given an offer to me, and it was in a place that I really enjoyed being. The other two people, uh, there were three pastors on staff at the time. One was an intern, and two were full-time. And these two were guys that were dear uh, brothers of mine. I really uh, enjoyed being in their company. I really enjoyed, uh, respected their ministry in a lot of ways. They mentored me in a lot of different ways as it relates to um, things in ministry and how to be a, a faithful pastor invested a lot into my life, and, and so in a lot of ways, there's a lot of gravity towards this position. The third person, the intern, was someone I had talked to, was very uh, Christ-centered, gospel-driven, and um, as we were talking, I felt like we could really grow together, really learn and, and sharpen one another. He's uh, my age, and seemed like this was the ideal position, and as, we, uh, as I was thinking about this, and, and as I was graduating from seminary, it was one of the places on my radar screen that I was highly, highly inclined to, to consider, and as we're going through this, this process, of of deciding and debating, is this God where you're calling me to be? Um, Each week I would spend time in in, in fasting and praying and saying, God, lead me, guide me. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea where to go. As I was praying about this in time, my heart began to to change. Heart began to change. Even though nothing really had changed about the situation, my heart began to, 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 to not feel so favorably inclined to, to go there anymore. And each time I would talk with these guys on the phone, uh, we would keep open communication. I would say, I'm not sure. Um, we would talk percentages, how sure are you about coming up? And, and slowly in time, those, those percentages would begin to dwindle. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know what exactly it was that happened that transpired. It was nothing really um, that I could explain about that position that was uh, unappealing after a while. But as I look back, I realize that in the midst of this fasting and, and praying and God guiding me and leading me, um, I began to realize that these doors in my heart were shutting to this position. And I said, I don't want to be in that place. And so I, I told them, and they said, we respect your decision. Within several months of that decision, all three of these pastors that I had looked forward to working to, had I gone up there, left the church. I realized that I could have very easily made a decision based on what I think is right. Everything looks good about this. I would be able to exercise the gifts. I'd be able to learn. I'd be able to grow, be able to be in a team ministry in a context where I could really enjoy serving under and serving with these people. And yet in the midst of fasting and praying and seeking God's guidance, my heart was disfavorably inclined to go to that, to, to that church. And I've heard heard other stories like that where people felt like this is where God wants me to go, but as they give it to to fasting and praying, because it's a huge decision. It's not just I'm going to go here for a couple weeks and then come back. This is like where you're making your life decisions. And some of us are in that place. I'm not saying you need to fast and pray about, oh, what should I eat for dinner tomorrow? I need to fast about this. No, not that. But the weightier the decision is, the more important it is that we really seek the will of God. And we're saying as we fast, it was not just saying, God, this is how much I want you. Saying, God, this is how much I want to do what you want me to do. This is huge stuff. Decisions about your future. About what college you're going to go to. About what church you're going to settle into. About who you're going to marry. About what you're going to study. About who you're going to live with as your roommate. So many of these things, we want to do what is, is right, and we go down and tick off the list of common sense things. But oftentimes, God's way is different from the way our ways would, would, would tend to lead us. And oftentimes, what everybody tells us to do may not be what God is wanting us to do. It's hard. It's hard stuff, but God has given us the avenue by which we can continue to, to discern his will. It, it's not that. In, in fasting, we can automatically become wiser, but when we fast, we strip away all of these things and all of these other desires, and God lays us bare so that he can really direct our hearts. It's not that in fasting, God hears our prayers any better. It's that when we fast, we can hear God better because we're not listening to all of the junk around us. It's not just here in Acts, but in Acts 13, but earlier, remember when, the, when before he was the Apostle Paul, when Saul was walking on the road to Damascus and he was blinded by a light and, and God, Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? It says he was blind and for three days he didn't eat. And it wasn't, it wasn't a voluntary fast, probably it was probably involuntary, but w- w- whichever one it was, Saul had to do some pretty heavy soul searching at that time. And his heart was just laid open before God and got into a place where he could say, God, I'm going to follow you where you want me to go. Sometimes we feel like that, feel like we're in the dark. What do you want me to do? And I think a lot of times God's prescription in order for us to see the light is that we would say, God, this is how much I want to follow you. God, this is how much I want to follow you. I open up my heart to give time over to to fasting and praying, to seek your face, to seek your will. This is the first thing that happened when they fasted. They received guidance from the Holy Spirit. Second thing that happened, though, when they fasted, God's power uh, was released. It it says in in verse 2, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. As you go and, and read on the rest of, the book of Acts, you see that the gospel is completely like Jet Li. It becomes unleashed. And it goes from this point forward. This is, this is Acts 1.8 is the outline to the book of Acts. You'll be my witness first in Jerusalem. And then because of persecution, all Judea and Samaria. And then starting in verse 13 to the end of Acts 28. It's now to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going forth. It had never before gone more than 300 uh, miles outside of Jerusalem. But here is being set free to go. See, when we fast, God's power is released. I don't know if you have never testified to the power of God in fasting. You've just got to kind of listen to people's testimonies and then, and then just begin to believe it for yourself. Because, you know, I, I think there's such a, a power when God's people fast and combine fasting with, with, with prayer. It's such a, a powerful thing. All throughout history, so many godly men and women of the faith have, have fasted. Charles Finney, who was called the greatest soul winner since the Apostle Paul. Isn't that an amazing title to be called a soul winner? What an awesome label to write on your tombstone that that, uh, you were a soul winner. Rick Terrell was a soul winner for Christ. That David, you won souls for Christ, that they depopulated hell, that they shook the gates of hell so that captives would be set free a soul winner for Christ. Charles Finney fasted constantly, fasting, and he attributes that to his power in ministry. He said, whenever I felt like ministry was becoming weak or the anointing of God was lessening, I would take two or three days and I would fast, and always a renewal of God's power would flow in my life. Not just Finney, Martin Luther, catalyst of the greatest reformation that the church has ever seen. Martin Luther fasts at least once a week. Jonathan Edwards, catalytic in the great awakenings in the northeastern part of the United States would constantly be a man of fasting. And we could go on and on and on. John Calvin brought revival to entire city of Geneva was a constant faster. John Knox, who said, give me Scotland or I die, brought revival to Great Britain. He was the one of whom Mary, uh, Queen of Scots, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear the combined armies of all of Europe. Because he was a man of fasting and prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, our times at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, his church, when we fasted, never have I seen, never have we been closer to the central glory of God than in those times when we were fasting and praying and seeking the face of God. When we fast and pray, there's a power that is released in us because we're saying, God, this is how much I want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. There is a power that is released in the the people of God. As we fast, we talk about how we want to see uh, darkness tremble. We want to see the uh, people coming back to Jesus in times of jubilee coming. Fasting is a way of saying, God, this is how much I want to see it. This is how much I want to see that happen. This is how much I, I, I want to put my stomach, my mouth, where my declaration is. God this is where I, I, I want to put my appetite where my prayers and my songs are. God this much we want you, Because fasting and prayer changes the course of history, because the power of God is, is released in our lives. I think this is uh, the case not only when we see I'm talking about these like huge corporate things, but um, it's also what happens in the context of individual lives as well. Remember uh, in, in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 18, I think, or sometime after the uh, right after the transfiguration, Jesus, Peter, James, John go up onto the mountain, and there Jesus is transfigured. And they come down from the mountain, and immediately when they come down from the mountain, this guy comes running to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, uh, I need your help in a big way. And Jesus is like, what's up? That's like my son. He's like severely tormented. He, like, foams at the mouth. He constantly is throwing himself into the fire, and he's going to kill himself. You know, I brought him to your disciples, and they prayed, and they couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus says, bring him to me. And then he casts out the demon, sets him free, and this kid is made completely well. The disciples are kind of watching this, and they're a little bit embarrassed because they tried to do this exorcism and tried to heal, and they had done it before, but nothing had happened this time. And, and they're just kind of a little bit... Uh, embarrassed, and so they kind of pull Jesus aside, and they say to him privately, they're like, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And we prayed, and we tried to cast this demon out, we tried to make this person well, but he just kind of laughed at us. Why, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says something that is so, I think it's so profound and so overlooked. Jesus says, this kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. You ever been in that kind of a situation where you've been praying for some kind of sin in your life, and you're so beat up and you're so frustrated because you're like, I tried, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and it's going on five years now, and I still can't overcome it. Maybe it's some kind of an addiction in your life, right? Maybe some kind of a substance issue, some kind of a drug perhaps cigarettes, alcohol, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a sexual thing, maybe uh, some, kind of an, some kind of an addiction in, in some other way. You're like, I've been trying so hard to beat this thing, and I just can't do it. I wonder if Jesus may be saying to you, this kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. I'm not saying that you have a demon in you, but I'm saying maybe, maybe Jesus is saying, this is, what, this is how much you need to want it, and this is how much you need to want it. They got this much. This much I want this chain broken in my life. It's like someone, someone described it. I, I remember hearing this testimony. Someone said, it's like I'm playing this game that I know I'm always going to lose. Yet I cannot quit the game. It's like torture. I have to keep on playing this game. I know I'm always going to lose. I might win for a day. I might win for two days. I might win for a week. And then I get completely slammed. And I give in and I fall again. And I get back to a worse place because I thought I was achieving, achieving some level of victory. And now I'm, I'm, I'm worse off than I was. I wonder if Jesus might be saying to some of us today, hey, this kind can only come out by fasting and pray. Do you really want it? Do you want it enough that you would say, God, this is what I, this is what I want. I'll not only pray about it. I'll not only, not only See, this kind refers to something that willpower and prayer alone can't do. Maybe we need to, to go a little bit further and say, God, this is how much I want you. This is how much I want to overcome. This is how much I want victory over this sin in my life. This is how much I want to kick this habit in my life. This much I want you, God. He says, this is kind can only come out through fasting and prayer. And Jesus' teaching about fasting, it's similar to his teaching on prayer. He's not just saying you did it one time and it didn't happen, so therefore you can have license to quit. You're off the hook now. It's constantly a continual presence saying fast until you receive the things that God has promised to you to keep on doing it and to see in time, the grip of sin and the grip of addiction and the grip of these things. Loosen its grip on your heart to slowly begin to let go on your heart. Do we want it enough that we would withgo, withhold, forego food in order to overcome these addictions in our lives? Do you really want him? That much. This kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. And then the last thing that we see, it's not really a, a benefit. It's more a prescription. When they fasted, they fasted together with others. They did it together with other people. That's so what verse 1 says. Hey, five people, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menae, and Saul, together. Right, why? Well, there's a, uh, throughout the Bible, it, it, it talks about the, the power of doing things together. We sang it today, didn't we? Um, did you feel the darkness tremble? Did you hear the uh, something, something, when the, all the streams join as one river? Wash away our, our brokenness. There's something powerful that happens when the people of God come together. Because, you know, Satan will do everything to keep us from fasting. You know this, right? Just like he will do anything to keep Jesus from fasting. He'll say, well, you're not old enough to fast. Or... He'll give us all these reasons why we shouldn't. Maybe not now. Maybe not today. Maybe next week. I, I, we were talking the other night, and I think uh, Pastor Albert was telling this funny story about something that happened a few a uh, few months ago when um, our old youth pastor Goose was was still in town. Him and his wife decided they wanted to do this like uh, detox program, and so um, I don't know what it entailed, but it entailed eating. Uh, Nothing that tasted good, and everything that tasted bad and was green and shakes and stuff like that. And they had started about two days into it when we were invited to this um, this barbecue. It was an amazing barbecue, was hosted by um, a dear friend of ours who owned a Brazilian steakhouse. This is crazy food. And so, uh, in his uh, on his uh, patio by the pool, he was grilling these amazing uh, steak. And, and, and pork, and all kinds of like delicious food, and, and he was bringing it out one by one. He said, this is this, and enjoyed this is that. And uh, the look on, on their face, because they could not eat it, was just utter and complete despair. I felt so bad for them. I said, hey, you know what? You're just two days into it. You're not fat. This is not for Jesus. This is for you. Just break it. I mean, seriously. I mean, this is amazing food. They're, like, they're getting offended that you're not eating. This is, I mean, top of the line stuff. So you would pay $40, Or, you know, to to eat like a fraction of this stuff. Just do it. And I know they they really, really wanted to. And I am positive that if it was just Pastor Goose, he would have given in. (laughs) Seriously. And I'm pretty sure that if it was just Julie, she would have given in also. But they were together. And I don't think either of them wanted to crack. They didn't look at each other. They just were staring at this steak. And they're thinking in their minds, we've committed to this detox program. So they went and they didn't do it. They didn't eat it. I was like, man, that's not, that's not detox. I learned something that day. There's never a good day to detox. He learned something today about fasting. There's never a good time to fast because there will always be a party to go to where they've got Brazilian steak. January, oh, I'm going to start fasting in January. Well, I can't fast in January because we've got the Super Bowl. We're going to have nachos and buffalo wings and this great. can't do it. Uh, I'll start in February. Oh, I can't do February because Valentine's Day. We need to go out to eat at a nice restaurant. How about March? Oh, no, March is St. Patrick's Day and March Madness, and we've got to watch the Final Four and and eat all this food. And and then April comes around, we're going to have a a barbecue and and all this stuff. And then we definitely can't fast in in the summertime because that's when all of our friends come back from from school and our kids come back from college, and we can't do that then. And we definitely don't want to fast during Thanksgiving because that's the worst time to fast And, and Christmas. There's never going to be a good time to fast. You just got to do it. <laughs> That's basically the last point. That's it. Let's pray. <laughs> That's it. There really is it. We have an enemy who wants to keep you in bondage, wants to keep me in bondage to sin. And you're going to always make excuses why you shouldn't fast. I, I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. There will always be another graduation, always be another birthday party, always be another thing that your parents really want you to go to. There will never be a good time to do it, and that's what the enemy will tell you. So don't do it. But when people of God come together and they say, hey, you know what? We can do this together. We can do this together. I love like uh, Clara Kim 2.0 House Church, Friday night, Paul Kim, uh, he sent an email to his house church and said, "Let's, let's fast together. Let's fast all day Friday. And then at our, at our meeting, we'll, we'll talk about this, and then we'll break fast together. And some of them were saying, oh, it was so hard. I was dying. I didn't think I could make it. And yet something about that, when they fasted together, Deuteronomy 32 says one person can put a 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And when two people agree on something, you've got an addiction in your heart. You can't beat this, this, this cigarette or marijuana addiction. Get somebody with you and say, hey, let's fast together for the sake of my addiction. Can we we do this together? I don't want to do this. It's so hard for me, but help me. Pray with me to break the chains. If you really are Jesus, you are stronger. You are stronger that Christ has done it. You have risen. The power of sin has been broken. Then let's see that in our lives, and let's testify to his goodness. Let's testify to his power. Get somebody with you. Get somebody around you, and let's say, hey, will you love me enough to say, Jesus, this is how much I want you. I want you to move in my friend's life. I want you to move in my brother's life. I want you to move in my sister's life. And I'll show it by saying, I'm going to withhold these things that are so important to me. The Bible says when one person prays, God answers, but where two people agree on earth about something, it'll be given to them. How much more when we add fasting and saying, God, this is how much we long for you. And I, this, this past Wednesday, I know, um, gosh, I feel like, um, as we we're we we're gathering together for for prayer meeting, it just felt like God was was just powerfully moving in that place. As um, this week it was it was cool because uh, one of our uh, non non pastor brothers shared the word and and just uh, speaking into our lives. And as we we're praying, just the the I'm just anticipating that God is going to move so mightily as we get together and as we say we're going to do this together and say, God, this is how much we're hungering for you. This is how much we're longing for you. Yeah, this is I- I- in the Bible. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, when this multi-nation army was about to attack Judah and completely uh, just thrash them, King Jehoshaphat gathered all of the people of God and brought them into Jerusalem and said, We need to fast together. We need to fast because we're going to be toast in just a few moments. We're going to get crushed. And he declared an entire fast for the nation. And they began to fast. And while they were fasting, one person said, God is going to, he's going to work. We're not even going to need to lift an arrow. And while they were fasting and while they were praying and while they were worshiping, these armies came and just supernaturally, they began to attack one another and they killed each other off. And the people of God, the army of God won without lifting a single arrow to win the battle. Not only there in Esther, you remember in Esther, you remember the situation in Esther? uh, They've been just captured and and taken over into Persian land and and there's this awful King uh, Xerxes. King Xerxes, you saw in the movie 300. He's this nasty, mean, awful guy. And Esther has somehow risen to a position of becoming one of his queens. And so he's, uh, the, this king is there, and, and Esther is there, and word gets out that they're going to exterminate the greatest act of genocide that the world had known in that time. They're going to exterminate all of the Jewish people. They're going to kill all of them. And so the people of God are so scared, and they're, they're, they're worried, and they're concerned. And so what do they do? They, uh, the, uh, Esther's uncle says, Esther, you're our only hope. You're our only hope. You need to go and you need to talk to the king. I know he's a bloodthirsty king. I know he's, he's an awful king. I know that he could, he could just completely dismiss you, but you've got to do something. You've got, you're the only hope we've got. See, so here's the problem. In those days, when someone would go into the court of the king unsummoned, the penalty was death. And so here's Esther's dilemma here. She's got a choice. Either I go into the courts of the king and I fight for my people. And if I perish, then I perish. She's got, she's got this dilemma. I will fight for my people or I will die. Or I save my life and my people will die. And so what do they do? They call all the people of Israel together to come in the fast. And as they fast, not only was Esther's life spared, but the entire nation was spared as well. When people of God come together to fast, we remind ourselves of something so important. At one, there's power when we fast, but we also remind ourselves that it's worth it to do this. It's worth it to do this. In one of our house churches on, uh, last week, we gathered together, and some people were just talking about how deeply they're struggling. Like one person said, within a day, I broke my, or within a couple of days, I broke my fast. Another one was saying, the day I started fasting, we went to Chili's to eat, and this person was fasting meat, and there was nothing on the menu that didn't have meat except for this salad and this, she said, this nasty corn soup. But we gather together as a people. We say, we're going to do this together because we remind ourselves that the one for whom we do it is worth it. When we do it by ourselves, we look so much at, at, at the cost of what we're giving up. We look so much at the price we're paying. And we say, you know what? I don't, I don't think it's worth it. But when we do it together with other people, we can remind ourselves that is a small price to pay for such an amazing benefit. Such a small price to pay compared to what God is opening up to us. Never have we been closer to the central glory of heaven. Never have heaven's gates been wider open to us than when we fasted. Not only that, but when we fast together, we begin to realize. We begin to point each other to the reality. Just a small price to pay. In light of Calvary love. Because we are reminded that Jesus had this choice as well. When his nation, when his people, when his beloved were in danger, when sin and death and hell were about to swallow them, up, he had a choice. His father said, you've got an option here. Either you save yourself and all your people will die with, without us, or you could save your people and risk your life. And if you perish, it only happens because you will perish. And so Christ went to the cross for us. I think so many times we get so hung up over all that we're giving up. And the Father says to us, when we think about all that we're fasting, I know it seems like a lot, but go to the cross. Go to Calvary. Go to that mountain. Go to that hill. Go to that go to that mountain, and there begin to do your calculations. Begin to realize that it's just a small price to pay in light of all that He's done for us. Let's pray. Maybe there are some of us in here who feel like we've been praying for certain things, certain struggles, certain sins in our lives. We've prayed and we've prayed and we've tried and we've tried and yet we can't defeat this. I believe that God is calling us today to move into a period of fasting for the breaking of those chains in your life. But God, I can't live this way anymore. I said this often, but I say it again. Change begins when the price of staying the same, staying where we are, outweighs the cost that it takes to change. Is how you're living right now worth it? Is the sins that you're struggling with worth it for you to continue living this way, or will you realize that the pain of that sin is far greater than the small price that I pay to give up food, in order to fight for this sin's power to be broken in my life. Maybe others of you, maybe you need to think about the Lord God will be asking you, who will you link arms with today? Who will you lock arms with and say, hey, I I have a hard time doing this, but together, let's do it. Let's fast once a week. Let's fast two meals this day on a given week. Let's ask the Lord God to move in us. Maybe you've been praying and Just really need guidance. Perhaps the Lord is calling you to really take your decision seriously and take walking with the Lord God seriously and say, let me take a day, even two days, to fast, even three days to fast and to pray for this decision that will alter my life forever. Let's take a moment to come before the Lord in prayer, asking God that he would just meet with us, responding, deciding, to follow Jesus in whatever way that looks like in your life. So let's take a couple of minutes to pray to the Lord God. Now close for us and we'll continue to respond through our songs. Hey, well, let's come before God. Let's pray. Make decisions in our hearts of how He's calling us to live. Let's respond to His initiative by faith in our lives. Father in heaven, we confess to you that we want the promises of God so much. But so often we're not willing to do what those promises tell us in order for us to receive what was promised. Forgive us, Father, for making you in our own image, for taking these promises in our own way, and then complaining against you because you're not pulling through we have not lived in obedience to your call in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that you owe us something because we did this particular thing. Forgive us for thinking that you're indebted to us in some way. Remind us that you are God, not us. That you are God, and we were at once objects of wrath, but we have been brought into a kingdom of light by grace. that you are our master and we are yours forever. So teach us what it means when you make promises to us, To understand the conditions that are attached, and may we, may we understand that by faith, that's the hands by which we receive your promises. So help us. God, we pray that you would sweep through this place and cause a hunger for God to rise up, that it would result in honest, genuine, biblical fasting and prayer. And as a result, we would see supernatural guidance. We would see supernatural power. We would see supernatural relationships being birthed out of relationships that were once simply based on small talking, chatting. So lead us, change us. May the words that were spoken into our hearts today Fall on good soil so it would bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold in our lives. And may you receive the glory today and every time we testify about your wonder-working power in us. We thank you. We love you. And we pray these things in Christ's name.